0: People of Earth, round of drinks, for everyone on me. Oh, you, Do
1: you really think the world's going around?
0: Yes.
2: Shouldn't we lie down or put a paper bag over it or something? Oh, if you'd like.
3: Will it help? Not at all.
0: Hi everybody, and welcome to Mecha Dragon, a podcast about all the geeky and nerdy stuff you love. Brought to you by Captain Geek and the Dark Nerd. I'm your captain, Will. I'm a writer and have worked in Hollywood, both on set and in the office as a development exec at a small production company.
2: And I'm your nerd, Jess, and I am currently broadcasting from the middle of a cornfield in Ohio, turning my cornfield into a bunker so I can stay healthy through this quarantine. I have not done any of those wonderful things Will has, and uh, I'm just your everyday guy. I got kids, we go to movies, I get their opinions, and I have fun and laugh with people and share
0: excitement. Yeah, and Jess and I know each other from high school, basically. Correct. So we, we go way back. Way back. And today we are privileged to have with us two returning guests, namely Jamie. Jamie, please tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Hola! So yeah, I'm Jamie. I am in Ohio, but not in a cornfield. I have previously lived in LA and Chicago where I spent a lot of time producing indie films, working on a bunch of indie films, did some time in advertising, both in commercial and digital work, and now I'm in Ohio doing yet more digital work, but I'm still a geek at heart
0: you sure are and captain rain is returning as well hi captain rain
3: hey
1: happy to be back although i was told there was gonna be toilet paper so
0: it's in the bunker
1: <laughs> which yeah yeah that's why i was yeah you, ha- you
0: have to follow us down the scary <laughs> dark stairway into the bunker and uh-huh just see what happens
1: i mean i'm pretty good at alphabetizing comics too because i did work at a comic book store so um as long as i get toilet paper at the end of this i'm good i'll hang out
0: <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so, we're all super geeks here. We, you know, that we're into different fandoms, one or the other, and with our powers combined, we are Mega Dragon. Mega Dragon. Mecha dragon. You know, Woohoo! We did well, quite a day <laughs> That was pretty good. Well, today we're talking The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Specifically, we're going to be talking mostly about the 2005 movie starring.
2: Martin Freeman, Moss Def, I think that's how you pronounce it, Alan Rickman. Uh, who else we got in there? We've got. Uh,
3: Sam Rockwell, Zoe Deschanel. John, John
2: Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got some big names. Yeah, quite a lot of
3: people was it in here. Yassine, Yassine Bey. Is that the other guy? I don't know. Cut that out. No,
1: no, 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 no. That's Moss Def. <laughs> Moss Def had oh, a name change in 2011.
3: Yes, yes. Woohoo! Yep, yep
0: right. that's him. So I will not cut that out, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> I think the first thing we should do is just give a quick non-spoilery review of the movie, just in terms of what we thought of it briefly, and we'll rate it out of 10. So let's start with uh, Jamie on this uh, quick non-spoilery review.
3: On uh, my non-spoilery review, I think if you had asked me in two thousand and five what I thought of this movie, I probably would have given it a two. But uh, on second viewing, and uh, I would give it a five. I say I'm very middle of the road uh, hmm. on this film.
0: Okay. okay, very good. So five paranoid androids out of
3: ten. Five paranoid androids.
0: okay. Jess, what what's your non-spoilery thoughts and review about this?
2: Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy I first came in contact with in book form probably in the mid to late 80s it was uh, my older brother whose name is Will we don't have to get into that uh, he had the copy of it because it was one of his books he had to read for school or something and it remains one of the four books he's read in his life and so I think I was probably around you know 10 or 12 when I first came upon it and I read the book and I loved it. I loved the, uh, it's just wacky. It's just a wacky story about a guy that gets caught up in this uh, space travel that he is not a willing participant of, and shenanigans abound. And do I, I watched the, uh, the BBC TV show and the movie when it came out, and I really liked it because it's part of my childhood and all that, you know, reliving the youth and whatever. Uh, so I, I'd give it a solid 7.5. Because it is, it's a fun adventure. It's it's really weird if you're not familiar with the, the source material, but it was harkening back to my days of yours,
0: so I enjoyed it immensely. Interesting. Okay, uh, Captain Rain, what's your take on this?
1: That's a tough one. Um, so similarly, the way the Hitchhiker's Guide was introduced to me was sort of a very quintessential Hitchhiker's Guide esque way, which was that my dad had a Tandy one thousand in the house, which because he was an engineer, I thought he had built. And so it was like a super amazing computer. <laughs> and I, I, it was like a out of time reference for me. Like I didn't know that floppy drives were old technology. I was like, this is weird, like must be really powerful. <laughs> and so I actually tried playing the video game thinking that at any oh. moment, an amazing graphic was gonna pop up after this like very limited screen thing only to be completely frustrated because it was hand-me-down, there was no guide, but there was the book. So it. Actually was a video game that frustrated me so much. I read a book instead. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I I also was like 11 or 12, (laughs) thought it was super wacky. And I think I read most of the books. I think maybe by the time it was like, thanks. uh, And so, so long and thanks for all the fish. I kind of, you know, was into boys at that point and probably didn't finish it. Um, Didn't realize about the radio show. Didn't realize about BBC or if I did like it, it wasn't, Something that really held my attention. And then I think it's And some to clarify point...
0: this is the 1984 video game. So we're talking definitely not great graphics. Yeah. Really Text based. Yeah.
1: I was like, what? Like, why doesn't this go on my PlayStation? Like, what's going on? Anyway, very <laughs> confused, very confused. But yeah, so long story long, I think even with the film, I didn't even see it when it had come out, but had sort of, it was like one of the dude cities I'd lived in was like, hey, let's watch Hacker's Guide. I'm like, yeah. And then I was like, Mwah. So at the time, similar to Jamie, I was like, this is kind of whatever. And literally upon rewatching it, I don't know, I might give it like a five or a six and a half mm, mm-hmm. because it tries like a lot of book adaptations to put a lot in and, and there's a lot to try to put into just a short window. Right. And, it, and it was beautifully well done for the time. And the actors all did, mm-hmm. I think, a really decent job but that is with maturity that I can say that. I'm sure if I had Extremely seen it. Extremely
0: decent. One yeah,
1: week. yeah. I, I think probably at the time I was like, this is garbage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so, okay, so you give it a good, like a 6.5? Yeah, and yeah. Half? Okay, all right. So for me, um, my original introduction to Hitchhiker's Guide was, you know, well before the movie, you know, the 2005 movie came out. And I believe it was my friend Drew who gave me the book to read and I just ate it up and I read like all the books that had been published on it at that point up to I think so long and thanks for all the fish I can't remember whether mostly harmless was out by then or not but in any case that was a wonderful time in my earlier life when I was reading those books and then you know 2005 rolled along and I I went to see the movie because I was you know a huge fan of the novels and uh, lo and behold, I was not that thrilled with the movie uh, at the time. But I, but I think that partially it was me just being upset on some level that it wasn't – certain things weren't adapted from the book in a, in a different way. Or I guess I was not quite pleased with, like, the adaptation because I was holding the, book, the books up as, like, the canon, you know. Right. Yeah, little did I know that Hitchhiker's Guide has had many incarnations, including before the novels even happened. So, but at the time, yeah, I probably would have given it like a four. But now, rewatching it, especially in these days of like existential terror that we find ourselves in, uh, <laughs> I got a real kick out of the, you know, the dolphins at the beginning which I'm not going to count as a spoiler since it's literally the very first frame of the movie. Can I sing the uh, song?
3: I've been singing all day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So long and, uh, and thanks for all the fish. So.
0: Yeah, I think I would give it, you know, uh, probably now a six and a half. So I think I'm on the same page as, as Rain on this uh, rating right now. It is very lighthearted. It's, it's pretty... Um, I was watching what was i watching The like the wisecrack thug notes on uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy where they're reviewing the book and he said it's like watching a comedian do an absurdist stand-up routine and i think that that is fairly accurate it is pretty absurdist and it definitely you know pokes fun at the idea that we should take a lot of things too seriously and uh anyway I did enjoy the lightheartedness of it, but it still felt like it didn't quite achieve w- uh, the pinnacle of of wit uh, of Douglas Adams that maybe it was trying to well,
3: achieve. He- well, here's the thing that I thought was interesting, right? Like, I read the books a long time ago, and I don't really remember why, probably because I heard a lot of people saying 42, and I was like, what is this all about? And I know I read most of the books. I never read Mostly Harmless. But a thing that I thing that I thought was really interesting is that— um, that script was in development for like, I swear to God, like 10 years.
0: A long time. And Douglas Adams even co-wrote it.
3: Yes. Until he died. And so he Mm -hmm. didn't get to finish his own script, but one of the earliest people to buy it or to, to try to option that script was Ivan Reitman and he was going to cast Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray, but it got got sidelined to do none other than Ghostbusters.
1: Could you imagine, like, that's like an alternate universe somewhere where Ghostbusters never happened, but Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was an amazing film. <laughs> yeah. But I, I well, I think
2: like... that's been scientifically proven to be true. <laughs> that's what is, I'm saying. Yeah. There is yeah. another
3: deep, but, deep thought. Yeah. Deep. <laughs> nice reference. Um, but I, I do think that, like, sometimes when these scripts and these adaptations go on, first of all, I think we've all been doing this long enough to know that, like, you can't make a one to one of the book. And if you do, yeah. you're going to have a movie that's just way too long and pointless. And so you've got to do, it's not even truly an adaptation. You know what I mean? There are, mm-hmm. there are rewrites and there are characters that are in the film that aren't in the book. And that's something that I actually really do enjoy, especially given the history of this. Like the the radio show came first and the TV show is not a one-to-one of the radio. They didn't take radio scripts and then make them a TV show and then make the TV show yeah. a book. It evolves. And I, I feel like it's too bad Douglas Adams had to die before the script was finished because it would have been interesting to see how he evolved the story because yeah i don't really feel like you have to have a love for the book to understand and enjoy the film and in totally. some ways totally it, some ways it may be better if you don't because you don't already have this deep sentiment
0: that, that i think we that's all have probably true i mean i talked to people who'd never read the book that watched the movie and they were like yeah that was pretty funny you know
2: yeah um, and that's the thing too with the the bbc series that was in 81 um, I can't remember if I saw that before the movie came out in 2005. I think I did. But I actually I like that more, you know, than the movie because like they like we have today with the Netflix and the Hulu and stuff, instead of trying to cram something into a movie, they're actually making little mini series or turning mm-hmm. something into a show so they can really explore, you know, the story and the character yeah. arcs and explain stuff a little better. And that's what you get out of the BBC version, and I find it As enjoyable, if not more, than the movie.
0: And to be clear, it's been a radio show, stage shows, novels, comic books, that the 81 TV series you mentioned, the 1984 video game you mentioned, and the feature film that we're talking
2: about. And... I just now learned that there's a 2021 series that they're creating for Hulu.
1: So I was going to say, like, watching this, I was like, oh, you know, now would be a really great time for them to do a a series about this where you could take their time with the stories to develop the characters. Um, So maybe the movie did come a little early. It's sad that Douglas isn't still here. I was reading about that. Um, He definitely died uh, way too early and kind of shockingly. Yeah. I think I think the message to nerds is don't exercise, right? Like, that was my takeaway. <laughs> I was like, he that went to the exactly gym. exactly why
2: I don't.
0: He is
1: my I, inspiration. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he had a massive heart attack never going to the gym. <laughs> Noted, got
0: I, it. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic time to do a, a Hitchhiker's Guide TV show for a number of reasons. One of them is, you know, there, there's been a lot of good, you know, TV to come out of the 80s and stuff, but we're really in a new golden age of television. And I think that absurdist humor... In television comedies, has really come a long way, particularly since uh, Arrested Development. And I think that if you get the right people to run the show and and you know cast it the right way and uh, you know find the right directors and everything, that could be, I mean, that could be a really hilarious show. I'd love to see what they do with it. Do you does it? Do you know any details about who's producing it or anything?
2: Uh, I'm just on Wikipedia. It says 21. 2021 series, a new television series for Hulu, was announced in July 2019. Carlton Cuse was oh. named as the showrunner alongside Jason Fuchs, who we will pronounce as Fuchs because F-U-C-H-S uh, sounds like Fuchs to me, uh, not the other alternative. Who will be writing? Yeah, Yeah. Uh, rather something else. The show will be produced by ABC Signature and Genre Arts. It's set to premiere in twenty twenty one. Production will begin in the summer of twenty twenty. And they're on Fox and well, international. Well, we'll see about records. that. Will
1: it? Yeah, expected, <laughs> expected
2: to run for multiple seasons. That's all it says.
0: Well, you know, Carlson Cuse was co-showrunner of Lost from, I think, season two onward uh, nice. with uh, Damon Lindelof. I know Hate everybody it. has mixed feelings about Lost. <laughs> uh, but what's, what's Jason Fuchs done? Uh, he's an American
2: actor and screenwriter best known for writing Ice Age, Continental Drift, one of my personal favorites.
0: Okay. Uh,
2: Pan from 2015 and Wonder Woman of 2017.
0: Oh, he wrote Wonder Woman.
2: He's also known for his role as Lawrence Gray on the Fox dramatic thriller, The
0: Passage. Okay. Well, we'll just have to see how this turns out. Yeah. But I wouldn't hold your breath for them to start uh, producing in a couple months. So okay, so let's let's end the uh, non spoilery uh, section of this podcast. Okay, so spoiler alert, everybody! Spoiler alert. If you do not want spoilers for a silly movie that came out in two thousand and five, now would be the time to pause it, watch the movie, and then come back later. If you have
3: not read the book, if you're a child, if you are seven and you have not read the book, from nineteen eighty, yeah, and you have not watched the movie that's fourteen years old because you're seven and you're a child. The radio shows
0: from the early 70s. (laughs) Then you get what you deserve.
3: Why are you listening to this podcast in the first place?
0: so i want to uh, I want to just mention, you know, a, a couple things at the outset. So, with every new adaptation of this story, Douglas Adams changed stuff, and, you know, sometimes the new version would even be contradictory to like the previous version. So, I just want to mention that because when I said earlier that, I disliked the movie originally when it first came out because I was dissatisfied with the adaptation. I really think that I wasn't giving it a, a full chance, honestly, because, you know, stories evolve. We, You know, I also, at this stage of my life, as opposed to in 2005, I think I understand a little bit better how you just absolutely have to change certain things in adaptation from book to screen. And also, you know, I think that, his humor can be difficult to capture on screen because a mm. lot of it was, I mean, you know, you read him just describe how something looks or just the narration that would be that would have to be like a voiceover or something. And, you know, you you chuckle or you get a you know, you get a, a little, you know, funny thrill out of it. But I think some of that can be really tough to actually bring to the screen in exactly the same way are, are you
3: well do you guys agree like, with that or i feel yeah. like i, I feel 100%. like to um you know i it, in my youth i had been exposed to things like money python but i hadn't been exposed to as much british humor and it's a lot drier and i think it would be interesting just to, to have a perspective of somebody who grew up with that kind of humor like being now being older and watching it and also have been exposed to a lot more things like early early in the and the show when they're going to tear down his house. And he was like, why are you tearing down my house? And they're like, we have to build a bypass. And he's like, why do you have to build a bypass? And the guy says, because it's a bypass, right? We, like we, we got
0: to build them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they have to be built.
3: Right. Literally his answer said that the guy's answer is because it's a bypass. And, yeah. and, and <laughs> yeah. I don't think I was, had it experienced enough life and bureaucracy sure, yes, and red yeah. tape to under, to really grasp some of the humor that was, Like as an adult, you pick up on it. Maybe in the book, I thought it was funny. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't really remember so much. It's been a very long time. But, you know, things like that, I think, were much because it's so dry. Right. Um, I I was more into heavy handed humor, like Tommy Boy, right? Like,
2: well, I like how you mentioned uh, Monty Python and stuff because Douglas Adams was English and, you know, uh, the English and the Brits and all those. They come at humor from a different angle well he he wrote
1: he wrote for monty python and doctor who and doctor who Mm -hmm. which i think is super interesting i I almost mentioning all this i almost wonder like what would have happened if the bbc had backed him with more of a monty python you know holy grail budget earlier in his career like to see what would have happened right but, but I, I agree, it sort of feels like, knowing that it was a radio show first, which I did not know until after researching for this show, it makes more sense to me because it feels like it's one of these sort of improv things that you sort of woodshed with your actors and you're constantly rewriting your scripts, almost like a Saturday Night Live, just to get the joke to land right. But then that isn't necessarily gonna work for film or for a video game. So you would have to change it again to, to get it to land for your different audience. Right. Um, so the original McClunky,
3: And if I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, he actually had a very strong hand uh, personally writing that video game. He was very involved in the development, like actually coding that video game. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which is awesome.
2: (laughs) And also Douglas Adams
0: uh, wrote a detective novel.
1: Oh yeah, Dirk. Dirk gently. That Dirk was also. Dirk. So was also a show. so we
0: have to do another episode, guys, for real about Dirk. Dirk gently's holistic detective service, the show. Yeah. Because like agency, it, I, it's an agency. It, it, thank you, detective agency. Because I I loved the first season. It was yeah. so it was hilarious. I thought, I thought it really captured the spirit of, of his writing. And while I have not read the Dirk gently novels, Dirk gently does kind of make like a cameo in the hitchhiker's guide series of novels (laughs) specifically uh, i think what i remember is there was some character who was always killed by dirk but what would happen is dirk wasn't necessarily killing him on purpose he would just be reincarnated as different things throughout uh, the books and like he would be an ant and dirk would like walk by and step on him you know Mm -hmm. or he would be (laughs) and he would always be killed by dirk and he would always uh, think to himself, "Oh no, not again." So that's actually the source of that joke about the petunias in this movie.
4: Mm. loves <laughs> oh, okay. that
0: character? And even though Dirk Inception. Gently is not in this movie, that's that's like where that comes from.
2: Oh, I don't. Th- I don't think we can add Inception to <laughs> yeah <laughs> <'cause that's, laughs> with the probability or the improbability engine. That's a bit mm. too much.
3: What I think is very interesting about this these, this book, and you find a lot of books that influence pop culture, and sometimes for a long time, but like this this really did like to your point like Dirk Gently you know i it's not so s- unknown that like Radiohead had, had two albums or, or songs directly inspired paranoid android mm. and okay computer are both mm. direct references to hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy which
1: is hysterical because like that band is the least uh, least hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy band i can right. think of right <laughs> exactly. it's like brooding <laughs> brooding right. emo english dudes or whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the paranoid android
3: yeah (laughs) exactly but then it also referenced itself a lot like in the in the scene where they're trying to get a trillion out of prison they're trying to get a a pardon from the president and they're standing in line in the queue they actually have marvin the paranoid android from the tv show in the queue yeah i saw that yeah
4: it (laughs) it was funny
3: but it's kind of interesting like how pervasive it is like i think google has a building that references 42 Mm oh yeah that hadron collider CERN mm-hmm. has references forty two. Like it is, it's everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, well,
1: Elon Musk dude was the ultimate jokester by throwing a car up in space with a copy of the guide in the in the uh, club box. Yeah, yeah I mean, I yeah. was. If I had billions of dollars, I'd probably do that to you for the yuck. That's great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it, he it, did it... it for science. So.
3: <laughs> but I just, it is did very it? interesting <laughs> how how pervasive it is you know what i mean how so many people regardless of like where you live or what you do for a living like this this book in this series and especially 42 has become such oh yeah
2: yeah even you if know. you're not a fan of the books or any of you never heard of douglas adams at all you've still been exposed you know unknowingly to its effect It's, you know, it's, he hit, he dropped it, it
0: hit the planet and spread like ripples and it's, it's everywhere and it's pretty cool. It really is. I think it's just become this, like, underlying layer of, of pop culture, particularly, like, you know, geeky or nerdy pop culture, where I think you're right. Even people that aren't familiar with the book uh, or even the movie necessarily, like, have heard references to it, you know? yeah
1: I think also, like, it's, it's even more pervasive. Like, he was doing a crowdsourced digital encyclopedia called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but it was before Wikipedia existed, which is super interesting. And then, as you know, who's influencing who, the uh, language translation app Babelfish is literally a reference of the baby right. stick sticking your right. ear, exactly. right so it's like exactly it's, and again it's a lot i'm sure it's a lot of it was like these these people that were developing these things they were nerds they read it probably like a lot of us at like a very formidable age and then when you finally were like i have a job and some power i'm gonna put a joke in and then the next thing you know it's like wait this is who came first like what's going on
0: so that's another thing i want to ask everybody is like what are your thoughts on why you think it's so pervasive even amongst people who might not explicitly understand where the original like reference comes from you know that's i do you think it's really it has to be terrifyingly fact... good question <laughs> <laughs> well i'm wondering if it's because it's had such a long history in so many formats and therefore it's exposed i mean this started in the 70s right right so that's 40 50 years ago that it that this started and so you have all these different kind of sources feeding into people's minds over that amount of time or, or is it something else I'm, what do you think well
2: yeah like i said it's like my brother when he i got the book from him it, i believe it was one of his high school you know assigned reading books so he's eight years older than me this was back in the 80s so you know at some point in time his teacher thought that was something that the class should learn so they were basically teaching teacher. it
1: sounds like you had a cool teacher yeah we we
2: have had to read like the red badge of
0: courage and
2: right
1: where the red fern grows (laughs) Yeah, even
2: early back then it it was something that was you know popular and i don't know how small or big the circles it was popular in
1: i i think it's kind of like you know if if there's any survivors after the current apocalypse we're in i Mm i i'm gonna you know do some predicting here that there's going to be two major cultures that battle against each other and everyone thought it was going to be star wars star trek but i think it's going to be star wars and then everyone who sort of falls into this monty python hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy like realm <laughs> you know and and those are going to be like the books that we refer to is is right yeah oh
2: my god
3: i think i think what it what it does right is none
2: that... shall pass
3: <laughs> exactly <laughs> well, I, I also think that there's something to this beyond like it just being a good book series, it ties into a lot of things that we that we deal with in every day. And he pokes fun really at everyday life. I think so many of us are very curious. And we have this need to explore whether we do it or not. But like, you know, he 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 draws directly on real life. And like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's no secret, like he it was based on The Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe, and he started with that. But he make, he references the Galactic Encyclopedia, which was written by Isaac Asimov. You know, you've got these these overlords, the Vogons, who are like, hey, we're going to do this thing. We've, we've got a job to do. We've got to build... We've got to build a galactic bypass, and it parallels Arthur Dent's life of like his house. That's a being...
0: great joke too. You oh, know, it's, it's like, so good. <laughs> he's trying to stop them from bulldozing over his house for a bypass, and they're like, "Well, because it's a bypass." And then there's that that bit where he's like, uh, where he's like, "Well, if you didn't like it, the plans have been on display for a year." And he's like, "But they were in the basement." Yes, I had to. But like in the book, it, it goes even farther. It's like <laughs> they were in the basement behind a locked stall with a sign on it that said, "Beware of the leopard."
1: Right, right. So, which which then you echo that joke again when they're talking about the demolition of Earth. Yeah, Oops, yeah. Spoiler.
0: Like, uh, yeah. it's been yeah. on been on file at uh, Alpha Centauri for the last you know ten million years. If you can't be bothered to take an interest in local affairs, you know. Yeah. Right. Right. Too bad right. for but, you.
3: But I think I think that's why it's pervasive because it is this like sort of satirical outlook on everyday life, right?
0: And I think it's an absurd. I, I think you're onto something because it's like an absurdist like lens through which to view the world and like everyday problems in a way and i think one of the things that feels really universal and timeless about it is sort of like how people's lives are subject to like in different institutions uh in in a
1: way yeah i mean held up for me no totally i think if you read a a little bit about sort of douglas adams early years and, and what he was doing right before he was kind of coming up with this source material i think it harkens back to that time of like um, kind of what we're all touching on, right? Like there's this there's this nostalgic youthful era where you find all these wacky things, and then at some point you have to grow up a little bit, and you're like, why am I standing in this line? Like, what is this? And so, <laughs> you know, either you you one of two people, you just you know, yeah, fill out this form and that's your life, or you just do things to not go insane while you're queuing. <laughs> so,
2: you know, yeah. it mean, could be another fifty, hundred, three years in the future when it uh, is relevant again when we finally do make contact. Uh, within alien life form only because they showed up to fine us you know because we're not we're not doing what we should be doing it's like
1: shit the complete opposite (laughs) of like first contact or like star trek it's like no you guys just suck here's some welcome to our planet (laughs) amazing aliens
0: we want to talk to you and they're like all right you're gonna have to pay 12 gazillion credits uh for (laughs) having a planet the wrong color or you know whatever it is
1: oh like like life coach aliens show up i'm out Taking out. <laughs> life coach aliens. <laughs> I can't handle it.
0: So, so Jamie, uh, something you said really stuck with me uh, that you said a couple minutes ago. And I think that maybe this is part of the answer as to why this, this story and its many formats, including the movie and the books have become so pervasive, which is like, you said, okay, well, now that I've lived for a little bit longer, I was able to get this other joke because I've kind of had to deal with these things in life more. And I think that actually says a lot about the quality of the story in any of the formats, right, which is to say that you can get a lot out of it when you're a young person because it's like funny and wacky and, and, and it has these, you know, jokes in it and these sort of funny observations. But then as you get older, you're still laughing at those jokes, but there's like this extra layer to it. Right.
2: It's multi-layered like humor and stuff. And it's like they could say something that, you know, the exact same words are funny to a child for one reason. And then you repeat those words to an adult and they get a different meaning this from is, it. Yeah, so that's why I can watch an,
3: Animaniacs at 12 and love it, and Animaniacs <laughs> sure. as an adult and love it.
0: Yeah. I still know their uh, states and their capitals song. <laughs> Anytime I want to think of a capital of a state that I'm not, you know, super familiar with, I actually sing that song in my head. I love it baton rouge louisiana and indiana and columbus is the capital of oh, ohio oh. i'm I'm gonna stop now yep, gonna good, stop.
3: Job. good job i oh, could you. never
1: get that one but i always have to sing oklahoma to spell oklahoma <laughs>
3: <laughs> i always I, I used to know parts of united states canada mexico panama haiti jamaica peru, jamaica, peru.
1: yep yep <laughs> wow.
3: i know
0: that yeah that one's that Guess one's a lot out. that one's a lot to remember but you know and here's the other thing i think that contributes to its widespread popularity which is okay and this is true in the movie too i mean it's true and i think all the formats but like you're constantly being exposed to characters who are articulating in some way with their their answer to the the meaning of life the universe and everything right so for the Vogons, it's like everything's just a nine to five for them they're not, you know, they administer things, but they, they're they not really concerned with, you know, the impact of it. They just kind of do their jobs, right? Yeah, kind of they dour. all work at the DMV. <laughs> yeah, they all work at the DMV. <laughs> you know, then you have uh, Marvin, the paranoid android, and he's just constantly depressed. Nothing means anything. What's the point? You know, and you have, you know, Zaphod Beeblebrox, who is more of a, like, just an egoist. You know, he's there to just serve his own ego and his own id, right? So, and one
2: thing about Zephod with his uh, flippy head.
1: Oh, was that a, was that a point for you? Because it was a point for me. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, if you're not familiar with the story at all, that one catches you right out of left field when he flips his head back. Like, what's going on? Yeah. But he's the... Pre- I didn't... They really didn't touch too much on it in the movie, but he's the president like one of his his brain was split in half and one well in the movie
0: was... they changed it cuz i think that in the books he just had two heads and it wasn't about splitting his brain it was just the fact that he had two heads okay uh, yeah. But they you know but, but it was
2: one head is the president <laughs> and, right and the other <laughs> head's not
4: <you> know? <laughs> right.
2: so he right. i'm going to kidnap myself and get out of here in this spaceship
0: <laughs> so everyone's after yeah. him because of that and that's, that was kind of a weird It is Uh, weird, and it's kind of weird they did it in the movie. I think that it was just because of, like, the VFX they were able to do at the time and stuff. But, like... Probably easier than two heads.
3: And I took it this way, right? Because, again, like, the movie is mostly similar to the book, but they intentionally took deviations. And I kind of took it as, like... You have two selves. You have your public facing self and you have your private self and, mm. and his second yeah. head is the one that should, I mean, his first head shouldn't be public facing, but <laughs> his second head really, you know, I, you know, I kind of took that as almost yet another commentary on society of like, he's got the second head that he hides and like every now and then like I have this problem. I don't really have much of a filter and I try to like keep this except in close <laughs> company or with people who are also weird like me like rain and like that that's not what i take to work you know what i mean unless right. i'm very comfortable and then i have the other me which i showed to all of you my also weird friends and you guys get to see my lack of filter and the things that i would like to say <laughs> in my everyday life but i shouldn't right and and i that was kind of how i took the two heads is a little bit of like he's the president of the galaxy uh he reminds me a little bit of president Camacho trying to run, run things in idiocracy. Although I'd take, I would take Camacho because he eventually does would, do the right thing,
1: right? I would yeah. take Camacho over Zafod for sure. <laughs> but,
3: I think, I think at some point, maybe after this is done, you can put up a poll there, a will on like uh, will unlike who would make a, who people would prefer as a president, Zafod or Camacho. Ooh, interesting. interesting. But, but I think
1: Will, you were touching on, on something really, you know, interesting, which is that life in and of itself as we mature from, you know, youth to whenever we clock out is always us striving to answer that question. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, and even what Jamie was saying, right. So like when you read it at like 10 or 11, you're like, this is funny because, you know, again, we're all American, it's British, it's interesting, you know. You put a fish
2: in his ear. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. There's like those Mm -hmm. jokes. And then later you're like, oh, I dated that guy. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. Like this is, this is so deep and also funny. I really liked his car. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you did. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. 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 I think. Uh, I think Sam Rockwell. This is one of my favorite oh my God. performances. He by was him. like
0: born for the the particular yeah. role. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it, it looked like just watching it, it looked like he had so much fun playing that character. Yeah. And he probably did, didn't I'm have sure too many did. of those takes twice because he was. I think he's just snapping his fingers and laying it down.
0: But before we, I do want to talk about the performances, but I want to follow this thread of the searching for the meaning of life because I think that is something that really resonates with people. And I think it might even work better in a comedy than a non-comedy story in a sense because it's such a heavy topic or it can get so... Like you a know, documentary where they actually go searching for it? Right, right. <laughs> that you almost need the humor to, to balance it out. And frankly, you know, not to go on too big of a tangent, but the reason that Dante called it the divine comedy, I mean, he calls light, you know existence a comedy for a reason. And I would just encourage people to maybe look that up. But in any case, so yeah, so you get all these characters kind of sharing sort of what their perspective is on, you know, the meaning of life and... Uh, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that the main character, Arthur Dent, is kind of maybe the more balanced out of all these characters in terms of how he's dealing with it because, like, he just wants a cup of tea, you know? He just wants to go home. (laughs) He just wants to live his life, you know, and do his thing. And, uh, you know, frankly, at the end, I think you probably get the closest articulation to what douglas adams actually thinks like explicitly when arthur is talking to and this is actually almost exactly the same in the book as it is in the movie where he's talking to slardy bartfast played by bill
1: nighy Nighy.
0: i love him i love him (laughs) and uh and he says so arthur says all through my life i've had this strange unaccountable feeling that something was going on uh, in this world something big even sinister and no one would tell me what it was and then de Bartfest is like no that's just perfectly normal paranoia right uh, and yeah. in the book it says he goes everyone in the universe has that everyone said arthur well if everyone has that perhaps it means something perhaps somewhere outside the universe we know and slurdy bartfast is like maybe who cares Perhaps I'm old and tired, but I always think that the chances of finding out what really is going on are so absurdly remote that the only thing to do is to say, hang the sense of it and just keep yourself occupied. Yeah. So there's that, right? And I think that there's, you know, there's a good point to be made with that. Right. So but he's like,
3: then... so Slarty Bartfast is every Midwest housewife, like just ignore it, it'll go away. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> or or Slarty
1: Bartfast is also the you know quintessential keep calm and carry on from that's from true English yeah, culture, true. you know, which which if again we're looking at his age, I want to say he would have been a kid around or coming out of like World War II. So yeah, like probably. these are things that were very formative for him to be then writing about it. Um But I think also you know at his age he was like I think. 20 something. He was like hitchhiking and doing the things that a young man with no responsibilities does. And you're just like, chill, man. Just where's my towel?
0: (laughs) He actually had, so uh, supposedly the story he tells is that he had the idea when he was hitchhiking around Europe uh, as, you know, a younger man. And he had, uh, Jamie mentioned before, the hitchhiker's guide to Europe. And then he was like lying drunk in a field near Innsbruck with a copy of that book. And he was like looking, you know, up at the stars. And he thought, gee, it would be a good idea for somebody to write a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And that's kind of where he had the original idea, and then he was hired to do this six-part radio show called The Ends of the Earth, where every episode the Earth would be destroyed in a different way. And when he was writing the first one, he realized that he needed uh, an alien character to give it some context, and then... That's how he started formulating the story, and then it started revolving more around the actual hitchhiker's guide that the alien had, right? And so that's kind of the the genesis of it.
1: Which is so funny because that means that Ford Perfect, who's the alien friend to Arthur, Prefix. is sort of— uh is, is sort of the, the, the proto Yelper, right? Like, <laughs> like he's yeah. like, before that even was a concept, he was like, I'm just going to jump around to all these different galaxies and just like, you know, side right for this guy that we can all kind of, again, like Wikipedia-esque write into.
0: Talk about foresight and, yeah. and like imitating art, you know? <laughs>
2: well, there's a, uh, one thing you mentioned about, you know, the idea of actually finding out, who is behind everything is such a remote idea. I was uh, doing my portion as a good uh, American. I was scrolling Facebook, <laughs> and I, I found this meme that uh, I'm just trying to pull it up, but my phone's acting weird. Uh, basically, said it was about conspiracy theorists, and it was about you know people find it easier to glom on to a conspiracy theory because it's easier to accept that than it is to accept the fact that no one's really in control of anything you know yeah, the, the world the world is, the you, world know, is you know, you know yeah. everything is rudderless there's no one in control and that's kind of that's just when you said that about finding who's really in charge is never going to happen and
1: was that an Alan that, Moore quote? Because I feel like I read that as well. I don't
2: know. I I shared it, but I can't. Yeah. It sounds like something Alan
0: Moore would
1: yeah, say. Yeah, which is sure. you know, yeah. kids, <laughs> kids read Alan Moore.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll he's, shop, he's share it guy. on our
2: Insta if I find it.
0: So on uh, the other, the other thing about this whole search for the meaning of the life, the universe, and everything, which I so and I always love the joke about forty-two, right? Mm-hmm. Which is this, you know, this this advanced race of ancient, extra-dimensional beings creates the you know m- most massive supercomputer ever, and they're like, tell us the answer to life, the universe, and everything, and then after like millions of years, seven point like, five million years, yeah, forty-two. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, 42. The answer, 42. and it's I always so great. just thought, yeah, I always thought that was really funny for a couple. I mean, it's just absurd. I mean, it's just uh, you know, and it's also kind of like, oh, well, people get the if people heard the actual meaning, would they even understand it? I think that it has a connotation for me as well. But you know, Douglas Adams always said that he actually had some reasoning behind designating it as 42 but he never told anybody except for a couple of his friends including Stephen Fry who I think was genius as the choice for the the, the voice narrator. narrator in this movie genius and actually,
1: so, uh, sorry I no, I was gonna say are we at some point gonna go down our 42 rabbit holes because that's know... oh, a yeah.
0: rabbit hole I want to get down yeah. all
1: right all right just yeah getting ready
0: so <laughs> I know I know we have some uh, we have some theories on this so I'm thinking maybe I'll 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 go last because I know Rain loves to put on the tinfoil hat and the tinfoil gloves and the tinfoil
1: I do. I, I, <laughs> I like I, it already. Silver. If it worked for Andy Warhol, it can work for me. She really <laughs> likes to
3: sit in LA sun and cook herself wrapped in foil. <laughs> no, it's the opposite.
1: I, I was trying to keep the sun out. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs>
0: That, that works really well on the windows. These so-
2: gloves aren't to keep you off of me. they're to keep me off
1: of- exactly. yes. <laughs> um I, I actually I actually didn't go that deep on this one. I actually kind of went a little more um, existential and and Deep dived on Douglas Adams himself, but but the few that oh, okay. I have, and mostly because with uh, my last two weeks have been have been busy, and and Jamie already beat me to some of these insane ones, so I I, I want to <laughs> let her take the the proverbial tin cap for me on on this one. But the ones that I found, so apologies if this is any of the work that you've already done, was that Douglas Adams showed up in an appearance of Monty Python's Flying Circus playing a surgeon, and that was in episode 42 of Flying Circus. Yes.
3: Oh, not, cool. Yeah.
1: Not sure if that's just a happy coincidence. And then also we're talking about the, the guide that he read while he was hitchhiking. Apparently in the guide, it says, you know, for people that um, in the original guide of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide for Europe, it says like if for people that are looking to find their relatives or, or you know, find where they came from, you, you might be a little disappointed about what you find. Because you've built it up in your head. So I think the book, the actual mm. travel guide, was just trying to be open to like be present, be in the moment that you're, you know, outside of your hometown. Um, but I think that that concept of disappointment because you've worked something up in your head so big mm. um, was something that resonated with Douglas. And that also allegedly happens to be on page 42 of the real life travel guide. So those mm. are my two oh. tinfoil hat things that I have for you.
0: I, those are good
1: those other are than good. other than what I think we've all found, which is that he's like I just thought it was funny
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right
2: right of course. Just before we go on, I just wanted to say I didn't really go too deep on 42 myself. my uh, what I was gonna talk about was just the uh, mathematical uh, computer meaning
0: mm-hmm. oh that's yeah, that's what I want to get into with ASCII. yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. let's ja- let's save that for the end okay. and Jess, me and you can yeah, I didn't that
1: Jamie's got a bucket go for it.
3: <laughs> I got so many buckets, and yeah, I did come across the uh, ASCII, Asterix, wildcard. and I'll let you guys uh, go down that hole, but mine was definitely uh, things where he never gave a straight answer on why 42, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. he was like, just because it was funny, it seemed absurd. Number 42 has a lot of different connotations and things. And like, it's been loosely referenced in other works like Alice in Wonderland and base 13 and all that so stuff comes references. up. So many references specifically to this number. There have been, and I can't even get into the whole thing cause I don't really understand it and I probably should have talked to my husband cause he is a, an engineer and a mathematician and he loves this, but for years, they just held all these computers, crunching numbers. And there were two numbers they could never get to which were 33 and 42. Like I forget why they were crunching these hmm. numbers to get to these two things and what they were mathematically trying to figure out and I could probably google it now again but I don't want to um <laughs> <laughs> because I would read it off it wouldn't make any sense to me and I'd do a poor job reading it so but they so a couple of years ago they actually got these numbers that they were working in a crunch down to 33 and they've still haven't really come, found a way to calculate 42 with these like high-end mathematics that they've been doing. So it's like a very pervasive but hard to get to number in a weird way. Hmm. There are, if you look at, um, I'm surprised, Mr. Will, uh, in your love of Egyptian mythology, but there, are, in Egyptian mythology, there are 42 negative confessions. There are 42 questions asked of hmm. persons making their journey through death. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. Ma'at, a female personification considered to be both maternal and a delivering force is an ancient Egyptian personification of physical and moral law, order and truth. I am reading verbatim, by the way. In the judgment scene described in the Egyptian book of the past or the book of the dead, there are 42 questions personifying the analysis of Ma'at. If the departed reasonably can give 40 answers to 42 questions, they have the potential (laughs) to either be reincarnated or, if completely successful, reach the ultimate goal of becoming a star, whereon they can continue to give light and fuel the universe.
1: So, I so thought- it's like the Egyptian, um, America's Got Talent?
3: <laughs> or,
1: or you know, afterlife. Yeah,
3: or crossing the bridge to get in, in, the holy, in the quest for the Holy Grail. You just got to mm. answer the questions, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, but it's in the future.
3: <laughs>
1: Or that's, that's Stargate in the past. Uh, star- right. <laughs> uh,
3: and then there was a mathematician who theorized that the fastest, most efficient way to travel across continents would be this to bore— This is my bore- favorite,
1: by the way. By the way, this is my <laughs> favorite.
3: The <laughs> fastest way to travel across continents would be to bore a straight hollow tube through the Earth connecting a set of antipods, remove the air from the tube, and fall through. The first half of the journey consists of free-fall acceleration, while the second half consists of exactly equal deceleration. The time for such a journey huh. works out to be 42 <laughs> minutes. Even if the tube does not pass through the so exact good. center of the Earth, the time for the journey powered entirely by gravity always works out to be 42 minutes, so long as the tube remains friction free. As while well, the force of gravity would be lessened, the distance travels reduced at an equal rate. And this idea wow. was proposed by Lewis Carroll in 1893. <laughs> Lewis Carroll. Yeah. Oh, However, now it's known this is not true and it would only take 38 minutes. Well,
1: that's like the best part. It feels like Douglas Love wrote the punchline to his own joke in the past.
4: <laughs> it really does. So, that,
3: it's like, yeah. it's just interesting how like, you know, they talk about nature, especially relative to math. You just see a bunch of repeating patterns and 42 just seems to be something that keeps coming up. Right, whether yeah, it's I like that idea
2: of zero gravity travel while within the Earth's atmosphere.
3: Right, just like you're free-falling for uh whatever half of 42 is, and then... Um, it's like
2: 13 <laughs> or 7, I don't know.
3: Yeah. <laughs> we're all terrible <laughs> at math, apparently. <laughs> this is not hard. Uh, 20, that's... 21. Yeah. 21 minutes of free-fall and then 21 minutes of deceleration. So that, that was pretty... Th- those type of things were very interesting just regarding the number 42. Also the phrase um the question where is it i want to get the exact phrase right it is directly from the book was
2: it part of the vogon poetry
3: no uh it's just that the the sentence the meaning of life the universe and everything comes out to be exactly 42 characters
4: oh oh
1: yeah i love that one too okay that was pretty good there you go
0: Well, the uh, theory that I was going to share, and and Jess, I think, will back me up on this, uh, has to do with the ASCII computer language, which is uh, abbreviated for uh, American Standard Code for Information Exchange. So it's just a... Uh, uh, and that's what
2: was used when Rain was playing her uh, my game. my God. Which I got <laughs> yeah, the It's,
0: it's just a wrote... way of encoding all the characters on your keyboard basically with uh, with a, a, a limited number of other characters. So we're not going to get into the computer side of it. But basically, in the ASCII computer language, the number 42 is a wild card, which translates as an asterisk. Which on a computer, you may be familiar that a wild card or an asterisk, which... Uh, you get to that by using 42 in uh, ASCII. Is uh, asterisk basically means whatever you want it to be? Yeah. Um, and so, therefore, the message would be: if the answer to life, the universe, and everything is 42, then you could say that that means life is what you make it, or life means what you want it to mean, or you you know you decide what the meaning is for your life. And I thought that that was really, I thought that was really interesting and actually kind of empowering. Uh, frankly. Right. No, I think I think I'm
2: not going to put words in Douglas Adams mouth, but uh, I'm guessing that's probably where he was going, because ASCII at the time he was writing his book was probably the height of, you know, computer programming, you know, and he seems to be <laughs> kind of a, a nerd, a dork, if you will. So he was probably a little technologically advanced in computers, too. So I think that's probably where he was going with that, because I don't understand. I don't know of any of these other theories. I think it's at least
0: as likely as anything else. Um, I'm
1: sure he loved all of it and just would want to, you know, make it as obtuse as possible so that we as a collective would always be running around looking for it. it,
2: (laughs) He was typing the sentence and his cat ran across the keyboard Yeah, (laughs) or the typewriter and (laughs) it's like, oh, well, publish it. Yeah. And now here we are years later, losing our minds over.
0: It. Or was he in his own version of the Jim Carrey movie Twenty Three where he just saw that number in everything and right. it slowly drove him insane until he wrote the book. Mm, I, don't I know. feel like that's exactly.
1: now how I am. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um uh, have you guys ever seen that
1: movie? Twenty three with Jim oh,
0: Carrey? Oh yeah. I actually oh, yeah.
1: haven't. It. It's one of those ones where it's trailer and bits and pieces as I walk through rooms, but not fully. <laughs> It's it's
0: slightly disturbing. But slightly interesting movie. So, it's but much, anyway, much different role for
2: Jim Carrey. We'll so, get into so that uh, let's
0: time. can we just talk for a couple minutes about like what parts of the movie you know none of us gave it a ten or anything close to a ten, right. but what parts of the movie did you like really enjoy and what were maybe like the best jokes that landed for you? Start with Jess.
2: I kind of when I was watching the movie, it was what is it uh, April of two thousand and twenty. And I looked outside the window throughout the day and looked out on a very strange world. So watching this movie, I kind of had, you know, it kind of, I saw things in the movie that I thought, hmm, that relates to today's world in a certain way. Um, One of them was when, what's his name, Hama Kamala, Kamula, who was played by John Malkovich, was introduced and I... Didn't write down exactly what his religion is. Huma
0: Kavala, I think.
2: Yeah, Huma something. But uh, it's like his religion is based around like a nose. It's like the great nose or something. Oh, the great sneeze, yeah. The great sneeze. And all of his uh, parishioners, I guess you would call them, or followers, wear uh, their head covering, so all that you see is their nose and mouth. And they are in like a church and they do their prayer thing and at the end they end the prayer by everybody forcefully sneezing (laughs) and i was like oh no that is (laughs) not good (laughs) that that would not fly today
1: i also Uh, had a a visceral like when that happened (laughs)
2: yeah it's like that's going on in churches all over the country right now and god that's bad
0: I strangely like had to cringe in that scene a little bit
3: oh yeah
1: (laughs) I think we all did yeah it was like and
2: one of the other things that uh reminded me of our our friend COVID-19 was when Zaphod and uh Arthur or not not Arthur but Ford when they meet up I guess they're like half brothers or something like they have three of the same moms and they get together and their greeting is like they do this little jiggy dance and they're like tapping their ankles together it's like that's us in you know a couple months that's us we have to learn that dance i i actually saw
1: so this is again which came first i saw a video of like these kids in somewhere doing a similar version of that foot tap and they were kind of like Hmm. bebop boys and i was like oh that's very funny but now i'm like wait did they see this movie? Like, did they read this book? Like, where did this come right. from? Because it's here if, now. Uh, I wonder if, like, on the
0: commentary, they say how they came up with that. Like, I wonder if that was just uh, Mos Def and, you know, Sam Rockwell coming up with that, you know, and doing that. It or could whatever. be. It, it, pr- it very well could a couple
2: goofballs be. together. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I thought that was funny and, and relevant
0: to today's yeah. uh, pandemic. What about, uh, what about you, Kat- Rain?
1: Oh gosh, I was gonna say spot on, uh, Jess. Totally, totally had those same things. I, I, funnily enough, I actually really, um, again, having worked on set and stuff like that, like my, on second viewing, appreciation was how much work went into it because it was mm. very well yeah. set dressed and the costumes were great. I, I even, um, I want to say like Zafod's outfits I was like I'd wear that now he looks amazing like yeah. he's, he's an idiot but I love how he dresses like who's your tailor yeah That's so there apocalypse was apocalypse here exactly I mean if you you we haven't met in person but you'd, you'd realize I was my wardrobe it looks like that before before apocalypse nice. but I like it <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, no, I, um, I think the, the, to your point, the scene uh, with John Malkovich and that whole church where it's sort of like this weird blasphemous merging of like Catholicism and like um, Muslim beliefs kind of mm. in this very funny way, but also done super Dada, surrealist, Dali-esque. I was like, oh, it's beautiful. Right. Like, yes. I love this look. Even though the scene itself was a little throwaway, because it was just another, you know, uh, MacGuffin for the the characters to kind of go run off on. Um, right. But John but,
2: Malkovich was so yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love the scene where he takes off his glasses.
1: <laughs> he's yeah. Got and holes
2: he's got... in his face. It was so great. He puts new glasses on with little eyes
4: in.
1: And then his little legs, and, and like it was great. Like <laughs> all, That was like particularly set dress. But overall, oh, and um, for people who are fans of the League of Gentlemen or Inside Number 9, there was a little cameo by Steve Pemberton. He's the guy that's um, in the very beginning of the film who's trying to demo Arthur's house. He's, he's oh, the one. Oh, the foreman? <laughs> yeah, he's the foreman giving the line like it's a bypass. And then I think all three uh, of the League of Gentlemen guys are voices of the various Vogons throughout the film. But that's oh, super nice super nerd of me. Um, but long That's story why long, you're here. Yay. Long story long, I I found myself enjoying the characters a bit more than I think I did upon first viewing and yeah. I think part of it was because of that journey through space that we've all been on that I was like right. at the time I I kind of thought Zoe's character of Trillian was just kind of throwaway and whatever. But mm. now I realize even though it was the height of the whole manic pixie dream girl thing, like her character was true in the sense of like, yeah, I get that. There's that moment where a crazy character comes up and and offers you an adventure. And there's like the two people, there's the trillions that say yes, because they are desperate to jump. And then there's the Arthur's who say no and are just on this amazing adventure in their bathrooms, screaming and kicking until they finally have like an awakening. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I really felt that they the actors did a really good job, most stuff and everything, by the way, for Chuck Berry fans, most stuff did a really good Chuck Berry movie biopic. I think a few years after this, oh, around the same, yeah. yeah, really, really good, which I'm not remembering the name. And obviously it was before he changed his name, which I still don't quite understand, but that's cool. You do you anyway. <laughs> I think it's
0: interesting. You mentioned the Magic pixie dream girl. Cause Zoe Deschanel was kind of like the archetypical actress for those type of yeah. roles for a long time, but I think. I think you're right. I had a similar experience in that, like, man, I really enjoyed these characters on this watch through. In fact, that might be my favorite thing about the movie is just the characters and, you know, how they kind of interact with each other and what the actors brought to those roles. Right. Yeah,
1: even the the scene where, like, Ford brings Arthur to the pub, I remember, like, upon first viewing, I felt it was kind (laughs) of rushed and whatever, but now it was just so silly and charming. And kind of sweet, cause like, you know, for whatever reason Ford was doing something else, he got there a little late, but you know what? He wanted him to have one last pint. It was like, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it maybe didn't, like I said, I feel like it sh- now would be a great series where you could take your time with these characters and develop right. it and go on this journey, which hopefully sounds like we will get, but yeah, I wasn't as well, harsh on it the second time through. In
2: the uh, In the BBC version, they do explain it a little more in the bar scene it's like the reason he wants him to chug all that alcohol is so it's basically so he's drunk when right. he's flying through the, g- right. the galaxy at high speeds. Like in a car accident, usually the drunk's the one that lives because they're just loose. Right. You know? And so. you, you
1: don't have time for that joke in the film. But right. yeah. Yeah.
2: And that, that's why I like the, the BBC show. I, sure. It, they go into it a lot more.
0: I... I had such fun with just the like the little jokes that were interspersed like here and there. Like, like I, you know, I think like, that I'm when English, I'm thinking, I know about... how to
3: cue. <laughs>
0: right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> that was his hero moment. He knows how to cue. <laughs> One of them. Um, you know, and like at the beginning, when Ford Prefect, you know, is is uh, about to chase Arthur out of the bar, and the and the bartender goes, "Hey, do you really think the world's about to end?" And he was like, "Yep." And he goes, shouldn't we like <laughs> lay down on the floor and put bags over our head or something? Yeah, and he's
3: like, oh, <laughs> if you like. So <laughs> we'll, Later they we'll do we'll that. They show them at the bar on the floor with bags on their heads. <laughs> yes. After after the galactic
1: announcement, yeah, they are like, yeah. all right, I guess this is what we got to do. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, Jamie, you said
1: you, you had a really interesting quote just now that that history is circular, and so um, I blame Will for this one, but now I have been <laughs> studying film, film theory and the ring cycle, and this movie <laughs> follows the ring cycle because yes! it opens and ends oh, with yeah. dolphins and the Bugsby Berkeley dolphins sing, singing song stuff. And Arthur's House. And Arthur's house, exactly. And Ring Theory, the, the hero's journey, the crisis moment has to happen in the middle and roughly-ish mm-hmm. in the middle is when Arthur on his very classic hero's journey decides to to man up in the most British way possible. And that's where he cues. That's where the whole yeah. thing happens. <laughs> but right. that but, but, but that's that's his moment when he goes to save <laughs> Trillian and he says that he realizes, you know, he, he messed up. Like this was the one that he, that he let get away and he's not gonna let it happen again. So that was sort of his moment moment moment
0: yeah that is when he starts taking like proactive action as opposed to just reacting to things and being the victim or whatever
1: right and so it does sort of mirror one-to-one of like as you say instead of just being you know having these moments thrown on him he's now reacting to them and and being an active participant and making decisions so it it does fit that ring cycle (laughs) jamie
3: Um, i would say also like the whole the whole thing with with the earth and like it gets blown up but really that's the the machine that's supposed to ant- to give us the question, right? Like we right, right. we blow it up, but right. we have to bring it back, you know. And really the the planet that was the inconvenience that needed to go for the intergalactic bypass is actually what we need to answer life's biggest question. Even though we don't know what the question is, it gives us the question. So so
1: another another wonderful kind of so British joke is like, well, wait, what was the question, right? Like, if if forty two is the answer, then what's the question? It's like, oops, we we messed up. Let's do that again. I built
2: another computer for that. Right, right, exactly.
1: (laughs) And so if the computer is Earth, but then due to some clerical error, it gets destroyed, and so but we have this backup, so don't worry about it. It's also very English. Watching cartoons. Oh, I love
3: that. (laughs) Yes. I don't. I don't
2: know if I'm just terrible at. Paying attention to the minutia and small details, but I was today years old, even though I watched the movie yesterday. Uh, when I realized that not only is his house getting demolished for a bypass, but also. The, the earth planet is- oh, yeah. <laughs> i never i never really never connected those two dots Though just now i was like oh man is that part of that ring theory
1: well so it's, so absolutely absolutely so the other thing that I thought was really funny was jess you were mentioning this too like you, you said your brother had a high school teacher that recommended mm-hmm. it was like on the reading list right like yeah. i think around this time hitchhiker's guide for whatever reason wasn't recommended reading but the little prince was and i remember oh yeah i remember like for any i'm, I'm sure there's a cartoon or whatnot but i remember reading it and going like oh god this is like depressing you know and like <laughs> yeah. even at like 11 or 12 i was like oh am i the rose stuck under like hell <laughs> no i'm getting out of here why does he get to have all the fun so i i was thinking of this maybe because i read hitchhiker's guys shortly afterwards as and now with time as arthur's sort of the the antithesis to the little prince because he gets flung off his planet screaming and kicking but (laughs) against his will whereas you know someone else the little prince wanted to go he was gonna go hitchhike
0: right interesting i never thought of that there you go we got some french yeah
1: you get some french (laughs) literature in there
0: like there was just you know thinking about it now and i i want to talk about a couple of the jokes that i really uh, you know thought was hilarious but like thinking about it now i'm like god really what was my pro what is my problem with this movie and i think that it does come back to like i think that uh, a lot of the absurdist humor wasn't handled in a way that a lot of widely
2: digestible
0: well it's not that it's it's uh not widely digestible I, i might even prefer it to be less widely digestible in the sense that it really is some wacky absurdist humor and i think that it didn't handle that type of humor on screen as well as things like arrested development and 30 rock for example right and i think that those shows embody the same type of you know humorous spirit as or at least very similar as you know douglas adams had and i don't know you know whether that's because of the director or the way that the the adapted screenplay was written but like there's a lot of little things that I love in the movie, including all the actors in their performances. But something about the cohesive whole didn't quite totally click with me. Mm. But that's not to say that, you know, I didn't love the performances and like certain things in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think again, right, it's just a very layered world. And the book gives it more time to develop it. Like, um, when when, we're hearing about or when they're reading the Vogon poetry, I think Mos- most is doing this amazing job of being like physically like revolted <laughs> yeah, by it. Right. Yeah. Like, well, like it, he
2: was reading a Cardi B song,
1: right? But I mean, which is the joke and whatnot, but still like, like <laughs> it, 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 there's a lot of levels going on, but I think from like, for, from a layman who's not like, you know, of the cult of Adams, you're not necessarily going right. to understand why he's even acting that way. Mm. And then of course, you know, Arthur's character is the quintessential polite British person who isn't going to ever say something terrible it was, so it was he's very trying nuts, to Seth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so and, it, and it's tough because I don't think people fully realize that Ford Prefect was was an alien half the time and yeah. little little things like that that just don't translate to some to to both an American audience and someone who's not familiar with the with the work.
2: Yeah, and that's but, like that's like also back then, you know, now these days we're getting more three, three-and-a-half-hour movies. And I love that because you get more of the story. And when there's a lot to be told, you need more time. So I'd actually, in this day and age, I almost prefer, you know, a Netflix show or a Hulu sure. show. Oh, Even sure. Even if it comes out like Mandalorian, like weekly, where we have to wait a whole week. <laughs> I, I actually know.
0: kind of prefer that, to be totally Yeah,
2: because you get a lot more story because there used to be, back in the day, a big gap between the quality of TV shows, they're mostly just sitcoms, and movies. And movies, you could really delve into the the gritty, dark stuff, and now they're doing that with TV, and they're doing it in a way now where people are more inclined to watch a show and that's what I like more, and I I can't wait to see. I hope something does come of the Hitchhikers yeah. uh, show on Hulu, because
3: well, and we've seen like take, that's what it needs taking these mm-hmm. these books that have such a fan fan attachment to it, right? Like, it works kind of right. So we we witnessed this with with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, where they did one movie, mostly one movie per book. I think the last. Yeah, one movie per book. And people were upset because they cut out their favorite character, even though that character doesn't adapt well to screen and all. Tom of-
2: Bombadil. Yes,
3: I can't tell you how <laughs> <Tom> many people, <laughs> I can't tell you how many friends
2: were pissed oh off
3: specifically with Tom Bombadil. And I was like, he's just a dude that makes them walk more. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Um but then, so then, then they went the opposite so way with The Hobbit and they're like, great, well, we want to cover everything. So let's just break it into three really long movies and it oh, doesn't, gosh. and you're like, this now you're torching us. This podcast is not
0: long enough to categ- uh, categorize all the problems right. with The <laughs> Hobbit right. movies.
3: But what I'm saying is, is like, I, I agree with Jess and that, you know, taking some of these very, these books that have such a fan, fan attachment and breaking them up into a longer series, taking the time to develop a character. Or multiple characters and a storyline versus more plot lines on top of more plot lines and not really resolving much of anything or just right. dragging it out because mm-hmm. you want to keep so true to the material as to not piss off the already a massive fan base that loves it right that like you're walking this line with with books of this type and and um,
0: when you have especially it should also be noted that I think any attempt to placate the the rage of of your fans is ultimately doomed yes. because you know especially now you know in this day and age there are so many fans of just whatever is out there especially if it's a popular franchise and you just cannot make anybody uh, everybody happy right you know you just can't make everybody happy and i think we've seen that with things like <clears throat> star wars and uh and others but other
3: places we don't have time to go to <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not
0: say, the door sign. That's not
1: a... yeah not yeah exactly not not a... uh <laughs> so true um I'm not gonna touch Star Wars because, as you say, we don't have enough time. But I, but I will say again, since Douglas Adams was English and it's like Brit- this dry British, uh, British, you know, humor. I think other things like Alan Moore's Watchmen. It's like it almost takes on this like Shakespearean quality, and it's like mm-hmm. how could you, you know, ever divert from the main original text, which in this case he kept changing, so that didn't really right. ever exist. But still, versus like understanding that every format has its limitations and you have to kind of create and and edit things to fit that format so yeah. you know i think it was for again technology 2005 technology 2005 cast and all of that i definitely was able to kind of go back and, and give it a more sympathetic review and watch but um yeah. you know I it had some it was, pacing issues and stuff like
0: i think it was probably about 75 percent as good as it could possibly have been in that moment you know
1: Yeah, I'd be, I mean, you know, if Terry Gilliam had directed it, if it had a different (laughs) budget, you know, like, I'd be real curious to sort of see what happens. But at the same time, like, I don't know, that's sort of the charm to, to, that type of you know quirky, nonsensical satire is that it's taking on these really big, tough questions and things that we all kind of struggle with, like existentialism and the mm-hmm. meaning of life and all these things that can really put you in dark tunnels. And you know you could have Aronofsky's The Fountain or like Kislavsky's oh Blue. God. Requiem where you want, like, for a
0: Dream. Right, where you're just like, <laughs>
1: okay, great. Like I already <laughs> wanted to kill myself, but you know.
4: Oh, oh,
2: that reminds me.
1: Or you have Speaking... this.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Speaking of Aronofsky, if you guys haven't seen the movie *Pi*, you need to see that. Um, Does it but, work out to forty-two? Uh, well, <laughs>
1: 3.
2: they they really get into <laughs> the the numerology of Hebrew. And mm-hmm, you know, these mm-hmm. words this I, like, Oh yes, 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 yes like let's it's, say the word for mother is eleven, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. word for father is thirty-three, mm-hmm. so together they're forty-four, mm-hmm. and then the word for child also equals forty-four, something like that. Yeah. But while we were doing this discussion and Jamie was dumping out her bucket of conspiracy theories about the number forty two, mm-hmm. I did a quick Google and I, or yeah, Google search and I found that Google in Hebrew, uh oh. 3 plus 6 plus 3 plus 30 equals 42.
1: Come
0: on. Mind blown. Google in Hebrew <laughs> equals 42.
2: So I meant to bring that dun, up dun, earlier. It's all connected. Yeah. And I did a Google search to find that answer. Coincidence? Obviously not.
1: I don't know. I don't know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there were a couple moments in the movie, too, that caught me by surprise and how much they made me laugh because I wasn't necessarily, like, thinking about those moments. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, they, maybe they're also, the like, the more absurd moments in the movie. Like, it's, like, towards the end. And remember, like arthur comes back to the new earth the backup earth that they're putting together and he walks into his house and his friends are all there eating like cake and grapes (laughs) and stuff and And they're they're, like hi and they're all like drunk yeah it's like you're
2: intoxicated
0: yeah and the mice and it it was particularly the mice like you know first he kind of they're like here drink your tea have a seat and he like sits down and then the mice are like trying to talk to arthur and then his friends interrupt like yeah they're so cool and the mice just turn around and go eat (laughs) <laughs> for some reason that just made me laugh so hard. well that's another thing too because
2: earlier uh when arthur was on the little thing shooting across the new earth with slarty bartfast um he he made the, <laughs> uh, the name wasn't important yes he said uh the lion <laughs> the best laid plans of mice and all that oh, yeah right and yeah, so he's yeah, like yeah the best laid plans of mice and men he's like what
0: you know? he laughs and is like oh well i don't think men have much to do with it yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: because the mice were the architects and yeah. you know they'd make the reference to how scientists are always doing their experience experiments on mice but really it's the mice
0: doing it. was like oh i, I gather that's us. what they wanted you to think but they're yeah
1: which is onion. is kind of perfect because when the mice turn around and yell at them to eat that's kind of like what we do to lab rats it's just like
0: <laughs> right. shut up
1: eat this also now yeah. i'm gonna saw your head off <laughs> <laughs> right right for science it's like And they're,
0: like, being very pleasant, and they're like, and that's why we need your brain. And Arthur's like, okay, sure. And then he's like, well, wait, you you need my brain. (laughs) I'm using it right now. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Something about that, you know, end part I thought was actually really funny. And to be frank, this entire movie was exactly the kind of lighthearted silliness that I kind of need in my life right now. Right. so Although,
1: you know... that being said, I was like, this is two for two where, like, it is a movie about the apocalypse because the <laughs> Earth Truth dies. Right. So, literally
0: explodes. Yeah. yeah,
1: so I'm waiting for, the, like, the next movie definitely also has to have some, like, horrible thing happen to a the global <laughs> Peoples. <laughs> should should oh, we do an? We, episode... we can do Contagion. Yeah, I was gonna say. Like,
0: <laughs> should we do an episode by episode, uh, like uh, series of episodes on uh, like Black Mirror? That wouldn't uh, be depressing. Uh, Let's
2: <laughs> do Sure Noble.
1: Oh God. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I will say though, um, in an attempt to bake because bread has been scarce, I made a loaf of bread that that was referred to as looking like the elephant's foot in Chernobyl, and I was like, thanks, thanks so much.
3: <laughs> <laughs> also,
1: I will be eating all the bread if no one There's wants. There's some this. reinforcement. Right. I've yeah. also
3: been meaning to make what? bread, and I've just what? been too lazy. <laughs> yeah, fair. <So> fair.
2: <laughs> one of the scenes I liked was when they went back to this bog Sphere. And they're trying to come up with ideas on how oh, to rescue every time, they have idea, <laughs> every time, yeah. Oh, was it's that just the like, don't just get was slapped that in the planet? face? Or was that a you know indigenous life form? But I thought that was funny. That was, you funny. Know? that was like, a... everybody, no thoughts,
1: stop no thinking. Thoughts, yeah. And then
2: all three of them.
0: Whoopsh! It was a pretty good <laughs> gag, and I don't re- I don't remember that being in the book. I mean, maybe it is, but it feels like know. something that they did just for the movie because it was so visual.
2: Yeah, I need to read the book again. I, actually, Hitchhiker's is the only book of his I've ever read. Past couple of years, I've wanted to get all the books and read through them.
0: But uh, well, you're yeah. uh, locked down at home now. I mean, if there there's was literally
1: nothing stopping you. <laughs> yeah,
3: go for literally. it. Literally, go for it. I wish I could find it, but there was uh, when they were talking. I about I got to the... go to
2: work in a month. You guys, come on. <laughs>
3: They, uh, <laughs> one of the things the movie does is a movie in some way references all of the books. It gives a nod, the reference mm-hmm. to mostly harmless is actually only in a director's cut or like extras in bonus footage. Oh, uh, but they, yeah. it does reference every, the other four books in the series. And then, uh, I know that Will and Jess, like me also play a lot of video games. And I don't remember if you played back on your old Nintendo 64, if you ever played Goldeneye. Oh, yeah. So if you are the, if you're playing in the PvP mode, if you are the player that gets the least kills, you get a medal called Mostly Harmless.
4: Oh, really? Oh, nice. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) So,
3: yeah, I mean, it's, this thing is very uh, pervasive everywhere, but I thought little things like that were just kind of uh, super interesting. But when you read the books, Jess, if you go back, it would be interesting to see if you can then remember or pick up the references uh, from from the other books. From all the different
0: medias, yeah. And, of course, at the end of the movie, they're like, I know this little restaurant at the end of the universe, which is the title of, like, I think the The next book. Yeah.
1: So, so, uh, Will and Jess, uh, 42 more uh, tinfoil hat 42s just in relation to this show is that technically, right, this is going to be your 42nd episode.
0: Exactly. On purpose.
1: On purpose. But... It's also 42 years since the original debut of the radio are show. Oh,
2: you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. See, that's yeah. why she's
1: awesome. And, <laughs> and um, apparently after Douglas Adams died, I think it was either the year of or the year after, sometime in May is uh, uh, International or, sorry, Global Towel Day, which is like a celebration wow. of everything. And the we are technically 10 days out from the 42nd day away of being 42 days away from Tal day. So technically oh, we're 32 days God, away, but
2: in two months and one day, I turn 42.
1: Well, there you go. See?
2: And if you take two and one, that's half of 42, which is 21.
1: <laughs>
0: <exactly>. Talk about synchronicity. <laughs> I tell ya. But yeah, you, but yeah, that's actually the reason that we haven't put out uh, some episodes in quite as long as we have. Cause I wanted to make sure this particular run was episode. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause you only get one chance to do that. I used to have four kids, but now I have two because they don't listen sometimes. So let's just uh, <laughs> let's just wrap up with final thoughts about the movie. So why don't we go with Jamie first. Final thoughts about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the movie.
3: Like you said, it, it was much more enjoyable on the second watch. I really loved... I thought the acting, the cast was superb. Um, I thought, you know, it was a very well-shot movie. I just think maybe the script or the direction suffered a little bit. But overall, like... If you get an afternoon to kill and you want a fun little movie, I would recommend it.
0: Yeah. And it really starts off with a bang, uh, humor wise. Jess, what's your final thoughts on this movie?
2: Like I said in the beginning, I I like this movie more than all of you guys, because I do have a connection (laughs) to my childhood and, you know, exploring it at a young age and then re-exploring it multiple times throughout my, uh, journey through the galaxy. But, uh, like jamie said all the actors are on par they nailed it it's a fun movie i was less critical of the film but it's a lot of fun and i do think especially in this day and age we really need to worry about the meaning of 42 <laughs> and w- imagine a world in which the point of view gun existed
1: oh i would love i mean that. come on oh, come uh. on
0: <laughs> that's that's exactly what I Talk came a, out of you know what going, that like, could oh. be a MacGuffin for like an entire trilogy of movies right? no
1: there. socks would ever be on any floor in any galaxy <laughs> 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 if that existed
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot to Facebook say Facebook would be I, bankrupt I really did, uh, I really did enjoy <laughs> all of the little guide like interludes where he was watching the hitchhiker's guide explain stuff that was pretty mm-hmm. cool right so okay, Jess, are you done with your wrap up there?
2: Uh yeah, that's pretty much it. It's just a fun movie. If you have time, get into all of the other media of well, Douglas Adams mm-hmm. book or
0: film or anything. Because yeah, sure. if you're
2: nerds like us, you're gonna
0: love it. Yep. Rain, what's your what are your final thoughts on this movie?
1: Yeah, I mean, initially I would have said it's a it's a good movie to put on in the background when you're doing something else, but after rewatching it, that's not true because there's a lot there and I think you'd be just missing out on all of that so mm-hmm. kind of the same thing like you know maybe don't maybe don't feel like you have to get through it in one sitting but do maybe check it out and i would highly recommend actually reading the books at least the first four up into uh <laughs> yeah. so long and thanks for all the fish and then if you like that type of reading i highly recommend terry southern in particular the magic christian is one of my favorite books um or, for, for or prank no. for pranksters because it's amazing Here's i'm your also next book jess <laughs> oh, yeah. Magic Christian is amazing. What you call it? Brian O'Nolan, also known as Flan O'Brien, um, also did some crazy stuff. Like, like if you like if you like this type of, like, kind of 60s, 70s, funky, non sequitur writing, there's tons of stuff for you to explore. Um, a little more modern is, I feel like, Mighty Boosh. I was really influenced by this. And in particular, I, I, I guess this movie came first, but I felt like, again, I was really stuck on Zaphod's fashion, but his fur coat that he wears to the, <laughs> the it was like amazing. And it My felt daughter like, was like, I love
4: his coat. Your daughter's got great taste. Your daughter's um,
1: got a really because... deep voice. <laughs>
4: Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she's
2: not she wrong. She talks like she talks like the hormone monster on Big Mouth.
1: Yeah, she's not she's not wrong. Um I definitely found myself thinking that it sort of was like a, a relation to what they wear in the tundra episode of Mighty Boosh. But yeah, check out check out League of Gentlemen, check out Monty Python. Like there's so much stuff for you to, to dive into. I think into. Monty
0: Python's Flying Circus is actually on Netflix now. Ooh, I think all wrong, of right? yeah, I
2: think I think all of uh Monty Python stuff is on there. Yeah. And-
4: like it's.
1: Oh no like no. Most of it. We well, you guys should like. And when I say you guys, I mean not us, because obviously we've all seen it. But like you guys, listeners, go see that stuff. It is so good. You do not know what you're missing if you have not seen it. And and for the Bill Nye fans, how do we how do we <laughs> pronounce his character's name again? Because I love hearing that.
0: Bartfast. Amazing. <laughs> <Slarty> Bartfast. <laughs>
1: if you like Slarty Bartfast, and actually this is one thing that carried from a first viewing to now was that I always found when his character shows up, it was like a relief moment even though i know like some big major bombs are being dropped on arthur but i always loved his character and i don't know if that's just bill nighy or what
0: i love how he's like trying to be like you know this imposing mysterious figure at first but he's not like screwing it up yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so he finally just like screw it and he takes off his hood and he's like, i love hey. it yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's like, I'm just kind of supervisor of this department. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and he's trying to be nice about it. He's like, do you need anything? I'm just outside. But like, cool. But whatever. All right. I'm just going to go back.
2: I love I love when he does that in the scene where they're all eating right before the mice try to take his brain. And he says that line. He's like, if you need anything, I'm outside. And <laughs> I'm then he outside. gives Arthur this look. <laughs> It's like Ugh, he disgusts me. Yeah. <laughs> and then he walks out. Yeah,
1: it, I just, I don't know. I just loved his character then. I loved it now, but I highly recommend a movie done a little bit earlier, I want to say, called Still Crazy, where Bill Nighy's in a British band that was formerly a huge band, and now they're trying to come back together, but like chaos ensues. So. And he's also in Shaun of the Dead. Uh, yes, of course. Which of course. everyone
0: should also watch, but also watch. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost's updated in everything. Uh, plan video uh, that Ooh. is basically the opposite of what they do in Shaun of the Dead.
2: Oh, nice! Yeah, when he first shows up in the in Hitchhikers, he's got his face covered except for his mouth. And like his bottom of his nose, and my daughter's like, "That's the guy from that's," and we both say "Shaun of the Dead" uh, at the same how time. Funny. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Bill Knight, she recognizes
2: awesome. the taste. lower third of his face.
1: Wasn't he in like the Underworld series too? At least in the yes, he oh, was yeah. The, yeah. the main
2: the the main vampire. vampire or
1: something. I love Bill Nighy. Yeah. Oh, and He's... also uh, pirates, right? Right? Was he? Yeah, he oh, was. Yeah. He was, yep. yeah.
0: The Octopus Face Man.
3: <laughs> he and Alan Rickman. David Jones. Yeah. <laughs>
1: different Hello, octopus face man, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
3: <laughs> he and Alan Rickman are also in different type of movie, love actually together. Oh God, you're right. Oh, very wow. very Another. different type of movie, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So very we will be covering it.
0: So my <laughs> fi- my yeah, my my final thoughts on you know, this movie are, you know, similar to what you guys have said. I mean, I guess I don't need to get too detailed, but I definitely enjoyed it more than I did in 2005 Mm -hmm. when I originally saw it. And I do think that it's because I have grown a little bit and and I, I can relate more to some of the layers of the jokes. But I think it's also that I was just too hung up on like, oh, it's not adapted from, you know, it doesn't have as much stuff from the book as I wanted to see. But, you know, in hindsight, I I can't really I don't think that criticism really holds up very well, Um, and yeah, like you said, maybe there are some problems with the script and the the direction and the pacing, but overall, it's a really fun little journey to go on, especially if you need something lighthearted, which you know maybe many of us do right now in these troubling times. And the performances, the actors are like, I think the highlight of the film for me. Everybody is just so fun to watch, like every single actor is like so fun to watch and the things that they do and like Sam Rockwell yeah I think he just had a ball playing Zaphod B. Yeah
2: the whole movie comes across as something that was fun to make you know and that, that really that's kind of part of the feeling the movie conveys to you
0: yeah, yeah, it really, it really made me, helped me feel a lot better at the end of the night when I finally turned it on. Cause man, like I've been following the news really closely, and mm-hmm. I just, you know, I just feel worse and worse and worse. And then I was like, all right, it's you time mean physically to turn. or no, personally? no, just mentally, emotionally, mm-hmm. you know. Because I heard you
2: do some sniffles and some sneezes earlier. What's what's up? What's no, up? I mean I
0: have allergies too. It's not mm-hmm. not a big mm-hmm. thing, but it's like you know. At the end of the day, <laughs> you're in I'm California, like, right? I'm Stay yeah. <laughs> I'm like drained. <laughs> I'm like depressed because of the state of the world. I'm like okay. Let me turn on this movie that I didn't really like that much back in 2005. And then suddenly it's dolphin singing to me, you know. And I had actually it made me feel quite a bit better at the end of the day. Yeah. So
1: so really, it's kind of like the end of Brazil. Spoiler. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But in real life. Is that the prequel? But in real life. Yeah, yeah.
0: So. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Captain Rain. Welcome back to the show, Jess, although the episodes that we did without you won't happen <laughs> we'll until after we later. air this one. But, but in any case, uh, I'm true. really happy that we finally had this conversation about the Hitchhiker's Guide. I'm actually glad that I popped it in and, and watched it again because I did get you know more out of it this time around and uh, i want to say thank you so much to all of our listeners if you have a moment please go to apple Podcasts or your choice of podcasting platform give us a five-star review and or rating i mean that really does help help out the show a lot and uh jess do you want to give them our social media details all right uh gather
2: around hitchhikers you're gonna travel not the galaxy but the internet superhighway, and there we can be found Bypass. uh like will mentioned everywhere You can get podcasts. uh, Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, CastBox, Stitcher, all that. Give us a five-star rating review because we are the greatest thing ever. Uh, If you're on Facebook, you can find us under MechaDragon and Twitter and Instagram at MechaDragonShow. Questions, comments, emails, those are sent to MechaDragonShow at gmail.com and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks again to our guests, Jamie and Rain, and to the rest of you, So long. Thanks for all the fish.
0: All right. Captain Rain... uh, Ooh, that was was a good ending. Captain Rain (laughs) signing off. Signing off. It was so good that I forgot my own name. Uh, (laughs) Captain Will signing out. All right, Captain Rain and Jamie, you can say goodbye if you want to.
1: Thanks. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye.
2: (laughs) Oh, wait, wait. Do we want to tell where they can be be found?
0: Oh, yes, yes. Well, I mean, you know... Captain Twi- and Jamie, do you have? You can be internets. found on the
2: 42nd episode yeah. of Mecha Dragon.
1: Yeah. Although, <laughs> although, I, God, I know we just wrapped this, but I forgot there was something I wanted to tell you. Will, please, is that, is that because now it's it's 42 slash inception on your show is that Simon Jones, who played the original Arthur Dent in the BBC show, the TV show was also in 12 monkeys as a zoologist. So maybe he's the time. Lord. Oh my
3: God. Oh my God. God. How could you not clue me into the time Lord conversation? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. 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 I meant to tell you, Jamie, I've just been very busy. So
0: that means that this movie Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy plays into our tinfoil hat time travel Bruce Willis time lord theory that we enumerate in the 12 monkeys episode we have just oh set up
1: the next show yeah
0: oh my god go. we have just set up our next episode which you, you know wow, wow will be about 12 monkeys so <laughs> don't Talk about circle theory, circle <laughs> <rain> theory <laughs>
1: forever wow. it's spinning in circles. it's just rain theory now the captain rain theory all right. around the drain of life
0: <laughs> all, right. all right hitchhikers we will see you on your next stop thanks everybody for listening so long and thanks for all the fish <laughs> so long and thanks for all the fish
2: so sad that it should come to this we try to warn you all but oh dear you may not share our intellect which might explain your
4: disrespect for all the natural wonders that grow around you so long so long and thanks
0: Our music is Overworld by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0.